I don't know how we would have gotten through what we've gotten through without it. The surge in the cost of living limiting the ability to put a meal on the table as the use of pantries across the GTA and beyond see an unprecedented high. Good evening. The need in our country has reached historic levels and it signals a crisis many people are facing every day. More and more Canadians are turning to food banks to feed themselves and their families. Our Janice Golding has the details in our top story tonight. Janice. Hi, Nathan. Housing affordability as well as soaring food costs are pushing more and more people to food banks. And Food Banks Canada says at this point we have reached a regrettable milestone. Volunteers were hard at work at the North York Harvest Food Bank today. Under pressure to keep up with exploding demand. I saw a lot of people who, their families, uh, are in it. And I know the difficulty families are going through now. Food Banks Canada says the need has never been higher. More people than ever before in the history of food banks in this country are relying on our support to put food on the table. Its annual Hunger Counts report shows about a million and a half people used food banks in March 2022. That's up about 35% compared to before the pandemic. The hardest hit, historically vulnerable populations. More seniors are now depending on food banks, up 2% since 2019. 45.4% of clients are from single-person households, while one-third of users are children, despite the fact they represent only one-fifth of the general population. I started using the food bank when, we, when I was four or five years old. Edvin Odeski remembers how important the food bank was growing up. His mother, a single parent, had cancer and couldn't work. There wasn't really a point where we went, like, we didn't have anything at all to put on the table, but that was probably only thanks to the food bank, to be honest. Um, like, we, I don't know how we would have gotten through what we'd gotten through without it. Now 18 Odeski volunteers to give back. Like, the feeling you get on the inside when you see, like, people coming in and smiling because they just got food and now they can afford to pay their rent is just amazing. The report says during the pandemic, many people received income supports. However, those ended in lockstep with inflation, and that's created unprecedented pressure on food banks. And Kirsten Beardsley says she's both alarmed and scared for communities, given it's not realistic for food banks to continue to meet this level of demand. Well, Beardsley says food banks appreciate donations of any kind. Monetary donations do go a little further, given these organizations have more buying power and they're also able to buy fresh food for their clients. Reporting live from Janice Golding, now back to Michelle and Nathan. Thank you, Janice. Still ahead, the exodus of Ontario nurses. A CTV News investigation shines a spotlight on the hollowing out of hospitals as stressed out nurses find employment south of the border. But first, police will be giving communities across the city a chance tonight to weigh in with their thoughts on the service. It's the first in a series of town halls to discuss the findings of a race-based data collection strategy. Our Austin Delaney is at tonight's town hall and joins us now to explain. Austin. Well, this is about dialogue with the community over the police collection of race-based data. It was done in the year 2020. It took a year to, uh, to take the data in, they analyzed it, and then they released it in June. It showed that black people are overrepresented in use of force. So tonight they're in the community. Police say they're committed to change. They want to hear from the community what changes the community wants. Here's the man who's in charge of that. His name is Colin Stair. He's the one in charge of collecting and analyzing that data for Toronto Police. 
We want to hear from the community. We want to hear what people think of the findings. We want to hear um, uh, what they have to say. Um, that may be on um, uh, an agenda. They may want to um, uh, take us in a different direction. We'll go where they want us to go. And moving forward, what will that bring? Um, so what we're trying to do is build a process of continuous improvement towards equity. Um, and um, as we uh, engage the community in that conversation, we're going to be able to um, uh, build together on what action items need to happen and how we're going to uh, progress together. And tonight in Rexdale, this is the first town hall meeting in a series across the city over the coming weeks and months. Reporting live, I'm Austin Delaney. Thank you, Austin. Looking live at the city skyline tonight, the gray skies have parted again, giving us another beautiful sunny day. Look at that gorgeous sunset, all the colors. Lindsay Morrison is here with a look at the current conditions. I think, though, Lindsay, people could feel the difference in the temperature today. Oh, certainly, Michelle, a fresher feel out there for sure. Those gusty winds that we had last night ushered in colder air from the north. We felt it, but the rain is gone. We enjoyed a beautiful sunny day, and as you mentioned, sunset happening essentially right now. Let's take a look at the satellite and radar to show you not much of anything and that's good news. We have high pressure at play and will for tomorrow as well. The temperature in the single digits right now both on the islands and at Pearson International. It's going to be chilly tonight. These temperatures are going to fall close to freezing in many areas. As a result, there is a frost advisory in effect for Toronto, the west end of the GTA and the Niagara area. I have a feeling we're going to see this frost advisory in place again tomorrow night, but overall it's a pretty good looking weekend. We'll talk about your weekend weekend forecast and of course Halloween coming up a little bit later in the show. For now though Nathan over to you. All right. Thank you Lindsay. If you're waiting for a loved one to travel in from the downtown core tonight better settle in. More construction leading to more gridlock in the city. Coming up we'll take a deeper look into the problem and what people are saying about it. To a CTV News investigation now and a health care crisis in the province that is short-staffed emergency rooms sometimes closing their doors. We have discovered we are losing nurses to the United States at a rate one tracking agency says could be an all-time high. Our John Woodward joins us in studio tonight. John, what's the draw? Michelle, the draw in large part is money. The pandemic created a worldwide nursing shortage and those who remain can command a premium. Here in Ontario, wage increases are capped by law and some nurses are choosing to go south of the border. Emily Pike is packing her bags. The Toronto nurse won't be working in Toronto anymore. I actually just worked as an emergency department nurse for the last year um, in Toronto, and now I'm going to Florida. The final straw for her, stressful shifts, caring for as many as six patients at a time. You have to like get medication for them, all that, but then you have another patient, they're more mental health, and they're trying to escape the hospital or something, and you, you're one person. Like, How are you supposed to go and do all of that at once? A similar story for Damalola Ola Adagun. She's worked in New York and Texas and loves the pay and the work-life balance. I have never, ever seen that in Ontario, never seen that in Toronto. I was like, yeah, and you want me to come back? There's no way. A trend that is hollowing out Canada's hospitals. At the same time, the stresses of the pandemic are pushing other nurses to retire. A nurse shortage has been a factor in closed wards and ERs in at least 14 hospitals. This impacts this this access to, uh, to health care that is critical when we need it, particularly for emergency services. Not just here, the pandemic caused a worldwide nursing shortage, with countries now competing for nurses like a commodity. Even the full-time permanent roles are paying a good $15, $20 an hour more than what you'd be making in Canada. And then the sign-on bonuses, $10,000, $20,000, assistance with housing, relocation, 
are all typically part of the packages. But it doesn't appear that anyone in Canada is tracking nurse migration. CTV News requested data from the U.S.-based Commission on Graduates of Foreign Nursing Schools. It told us 801 Canadian nurses applied to transfer their credentials to the U.S. in 2018, rising to more than 1,300 the next year. The numbers dropped in the pandemic but started rising again to almost 1,700 in 2022, with the year not out. The agency says that's more than double just five years ago and could be an all-time high. The pattern that we're seeing is that it is increasing year over year. Job recruiter Samantha White says she has seen a major increase in the last two years since an Ontario law has capped public sector wage increases at 1% annually for three years. She says a free trade agreement gives nurses freedom to work in the U.S. It's a lot more lucrative than it is up here in Canada, specifically Ontario, where we're seeing the rates not go up due to Bill 124. Ontario's government told CTV News in a statement its plan includes 6,000 more health care workers, $34 million to increase enrollment in nursing programs and international recruiting, saying over 1,000 internationally educated nurses have been deployed to hospitals across Ontario to gain the language and practice experience they need to become practicing nurses in Ontario. Measures that don't address a key problem of compensation, says Pike. A lot of the new grads that are starting are all leaving right away. The money and working conditions pushing even new grads to head for the door. Ontario's nursing regulator says it has licensed almost 4,000 internationally trained nurses so far this year, and the province enacted new regulations today that will allow more to work while they wait for the paperwork. Keeping nurses here, though, when other countries can outbid us, will remain a challenge. Reporting live, I'm John Woodward. Back to you. All right, thank you, John. And if you have a story idea for CTV News Investigates, please let us know. You can email investigate at ctv.ca or visit our website for more secure and anonymous ways to get in touch. And you can read more about John's story online. Just head to our website, ctvnewstoronto.ca. Relief today for thousands of GO bus riders in the GTA. A strike that would have brought bus service to a halt has been averted, at least for now. In August, drivers, station attendants and other workers voted 93% in favor of a strike. An October 31st deadline was set. But Metrolinx will now present an offer to the union on November 1st for a vote. The main issue has been protection against contracting out work. The union members have been without a contract since June. On the roads and on the rails, the TTC has reached a major milestone. 33 billion riders have taken the better way since operations began more than a century ago. The Transit Commission says it does not take the achievement for granted, giving credit to its nearly 16,000 employees. The TTC surpassed 30 billion riders in August 2015 and 32 billion in May 2019. What isn't the better way tonight? Driving downtown. Another area of our city's core is being torn up, creating conga lines of cars and traffic chaos. CTV's Mike Walker is braving the roads tonight just to be live near a particularly bad area. Mike. Well, Nathan, Michelle, we are live at University in Adelaide, where this week major road work has started. It's the latest in ongoing construction projects in the downtown that is causing gridlock, and the mayor admitting today that the city can do more to handle it better. The commute out of the core this afternoon along Adelaide can be summed up as... Terrible. Absolutely terrible. Major construction now underway that the city says is necessary to upgrade infrastructure and TTC streetcar tracks in advance of construction for the Ontario subway line. 
Today, Adelaide is reduced to one lane between Duncan and Bay, and it's testing people's patience. I mean, I've been waiting nine lights to get through by four blocks. This is ridiculous. Rather than driving, walking is the best option over here right now. This isn't the only road work that has been giving drivers headaches. Other areas include Wellington, College and Lakeshore. This map shows road work currently being done in the downtown that is resulting in road restrictions. And there is also condo development that is having an impact. We can't drive anywhere. Caught in the gridlock, this Uber driver says he's losing fares. I was going to pick up a passenger. It was taking two minutes. I am stacking here 20 minutes and then cancelled. So how do I survive? The type of upgrades and, and, and construction that is required to keep a big city functioning. Uh, we've often delayed a lot of this construction. Uh, it's crept up on us. This planning expert calls it the perfect storm. Necessary construction coupled with more people returning to work in the core. Traffic is back almost to 2019 levels. Uh, transit ridership is down, but cycling is up. So the city is getting busy again. While announcing a construction zone blitz today, Mayor John Tory says the ongoing disruptions caused by private, public and transit construction projects are complicated. Uh, we just have to get a better handle on this and it's a busy, growing city. And so it's just very complicated and I take a keen interest in it because I know that I promised we would do better and I know that there's a, a higher standard that has to be met. Back on Adelaide, where the construction is expected to last months, it's leaving people who work in the area feeling helpless. If this trip to work is normally like a 20 minute drive from home. And I've just added 20, 25 minutes to my drive. It's brutal. You can't get away from it. Well, for others, this is the final straw. Walk, bike in the snow, do something alternative, but it's crazy. The city urging drivers to avoid the area if it's not necessary. Now, there is a fire station located right in the middle of this construction along Adelaide. The district chief tells me that crews are taking alternate routes and they don't anticipate any impact on response times. Now, the construction along Adelaide is being done in phases and the city anticipates it to be completed in the spring. Reporting live by Mike Walker, Michelle, back to you. Thank you, Mike. Ontario police are offering a $50,000 reward for tips in the 2016 disappearance of a Toronto mother of four. 43-year-old Karen Thompson was last seen in July of 2016. She lived in Etobicoke, but police say her lifestyle could be described as transient. Police believe foul play is involved in her disappearance. In their effort to get more tips from the public, OPP have released a video featuring Karen's daughter. The city wants people to know about a new phone scam. Officials say they received reports about callers asking to access homes for a water inspection. The scammers reportedly say they're checking backwater valves and pumps in the neighborhood. They ask whether anyone is at the home to allow them inside. The city says that type of work is not being conducted by any of its employees, and you should call police immediately if you get this type of call. To Ottawa, where OPP Commissioner Thomas Carrick was testifying before the Emergencies Act inquiry today. The commissioner was asked whether he lost confidence in Ottawa police during the occupation. Our Sean Lethong has been covering this and joins us with more. Sean. Well, Nathan and Michelle, during the testimony today, the OPP commissioner stopped short of saying he lost confidence while other levels of government were suggesting just that. <laughs> Testifying before the Emergencies Act inquiry, OPP Commissioner Thomas Carrick says before the convoy arrived, police had information that protesters had no exit strategy and there were discussions around a long-term presence in Ottawa. There was reference to multiple weeks. 
um, but also demands that would not be realized and uh, committed protesters that would not be leaving unless those demands were realized. And by the end of the first weekend, police did not have the resources to handle the protest. And would it be fair to say that as of the date of this meeting, which is the 31st, the, the Monday, that the OPS was uh, overwhelmed? Yes. That the commissioner raised concerns with then Ottawa Police Chief Peter Slowly. Concerns were around uh, not having a sufficient plan in place uh, as it was relayed by, uh, by my team. The concerns had grown to a loss of confidence by the federal government, as shown in a text conversation where the RCMP commissioner said to the OPP commissioner on February 5th... Between you and I only, GOC losing slash lost confidence in OPS, we got to get to safe action slash enforcement, because if they go to the Emergency Measures Act, you or... supposed to be I, I assume, you or I may be brought in to lead, not something I want. When asked if he had lost confidence in Ottawa police? That's a difficult question to, uh, to answer as to whether I had confidence in the OPS at the time. I was certainly aware of the challenges um, that they were experiencing. Back in Toronto, Premier Ford once again faced questions over his refusal to appear at the inquiry. Will the Premier stop his court action, apologize to the citizens of Ottawa and give testimony in front of the inquiry? He knows it's a federal issue. He knows it's a federal inquiry, and that's up to the federal government. Former OPP Commissioner Chris Lewis says Ford would have little responsibility in relation to the Ottawa occupation, making his refusal to testify suggest something else. Is there a real need for the Premier to testify? I don't believe there is. But by not testifying, he's almost suggesting to the public that there, there's something to hide. And I don't think that's right or fair to anybody. So I think he should testify and, and move forward and, and let's get this behind us. Lewis says that policing is a provincial matter, so the Premier can't be absent in this, but his role would have been minimal. The provincial government will challenge the summons to appear at the inquiry in court next Tuesday. Reporting live, I'm Sean Thong. Nathan and Michelle, send it back to you. Thank you, Sean. Ontario's financial accountability officer says the province's budget is getting back on track. We're on the knife's edge right now. Uh, our, as we said, you know, our economic growth as policy is very weak for next year. 0.7 is pretty weak. So we're, we're not in recession territory yet. We don't think there will be one, but we think we're, we're close. And if there is another shock to the system, if we have, you know, whatever, some big spike in oil prices or there's some, you know, another lockdown, God forbid there's another lockdown, even if there's another big lockdown in China that will have an effect on the global economy, that could be enough just to tip us into recession. The FAO projects the PCs will see surpluses for the next six years. It comes as the government faces pressure from health care and education sectors to increase funding. The report also suggests growing budget surpluses from $100 million in 2022-23 to $8.5 billion in 2027-28. Condo sales in the GTA are down. They dropped 46% in the third quarter this year compared to the same period last year. There are more than 4,100 condo sales in the third quarter this year, and that's compared to almost 7,800 in the third quarter of 2021. The number of new listings was also down this year by 16% to a little over 10,000. The average selling price was just over 720,000, up 4.5%. It was about $689,000 in the third quarter of 2021. The average selling price was around 749,000 in the city of Toronto this year, up over 3%. 
The Toronto Regional Real Estate Board says some first-time buyers have been sidelined by higher borrowing costs and the hit on affordability. Many of them have shifted to the condo rental market in the short term. You may want to check your cleaning supplies tonight. Clorox is recalling millions of its products. The company says 37 million pine sol solutions are being pulled off the shelves because they may contain a toxic bacteria found widely in soil and water. Clorox says the items were sold between January 2021 and September 2022. The company's original pine-scented pine sol is not included in this recall. The House of Commons has passed a motion declaring the tragedy at Canada's residential schools genocide. It was introduced by Leah Gazan of the NDP. In the opinion of the House that the government must recognize what happened in Canada's Indian residential schools as genocide as acknowledged by Pope Francis and in accordance with Article 2 of the United Nations Convention on the Prevention and Punishment of the Crime of Genocide. Gazan tried back in June of 2021 to get unanimous consent. She'd hoped this time around all of her colleagues would be on board after the pontiff used the term genocide following his visit to Canada. Staying in the nation's capital, the U.S. Secretary of State is on his first official visit to our country, where a possible mission in Haiti was a major focus of discussion. CTV's Kevin Gallagher reports. At a time of global crisis, the United States sent its top diplomat to Canada. Was Secretary of State Antony Blinken's first visit officially north of the border? He spent much of the day meeting with his counterpart, Foreign Affairs Minister Melanie Jolie, and also spent time with Deputy Prime Minister Christian Freeland. It's an honor for Canada that you're here. Thank you. Thank you. Now, much of that discussion focused around the war in Ukraine. But there was a lot of attention paid as well to another crisis even closer to home, and that is the unrest in Haiti. Blinken has said that he'd like to perhaps look at putting together an international task force that could go into Haiti and stabilize the country if the request is there. Now, the United States says it does not want to lead it. And today, Foreign Affairs Minister Melanie Jolie didn't make it clear if Canada would step in, only saying that there has been a Canadian delegation sent to Haiti to observe the conditions on the ground. We're looking at different options, uh, but we want to make sure that we have the right assessment. Um, a shared view that um, more likely needs to be done for the National Police in support of them to allow them to get a, a real grip on, on security and to uh, take back uh, the, these parts of the capital that the, uh, the gangs have been dominating. Though the details are thin, Jolie did stress that Canada must play a role in helping Haiti find political stability, also insisting that Haitians need to be at the center of that process. Tomorrow, Blinken and Jolie will travel to Montreal, where they'll discuss the importance of critical minerals in the future of electric vehicles. Kevin Gallagher, CTV News, Ottawa. Poland took further steps to remove symbols of Russia's post-Second World War domination. Four communist-era monuments to Red Army soldiers were dismantled. Workers used drills and heavy equipment to destroy the 1945 monuments at different locations across the city. Moscow's invasion of Ukraine has added urgency to the efforts. Poland is supporting its neighbor politically, militarily and economically. Coming up, a big honor for Toronto's top doc, Dr. Eileen Davila and other powerful female Filipina-Canadian leaders making waves on the world stage. 
I'm Pat Foran. Coming up on Consumer Alert, as it gets colder, you may be thinking of booking a sunny vacation down south. But if you enjoy going to the beach, you could run into piles and piles of seaweed. Where is it happening? I love that story. That's just ahead. A frosty night ahead here in southern Ontario. Minus six degrees for the low in Bancroft, minus four in Peterborough, zero in Niagara, and one degree in the city of Toronto. It's going to be chilly early tomorrow morning, especially for early risers, but we have a nice looking weekend ahead. Halloween's forecast looks a little tricky, but the first week of November is looking mild. Those details are coming up, and stay with us. We've got another full night of great shows for you right here on CTV. As the temperature drops, many Canadians will start thinking about sunny destinations in Mexico, Cuba, or other islands in the Caribbean. And if you're someone who enjoys going to the beach, you may want to check what the seaweed situation is before you book a trip. Pat Foran explains on Consumer Alert. Sargassum is a brown seaweed that is naturally occurring in the ocean, and it often washes up on shore. But if you enjoy going to the beach on a southern holiday, you may want to check if the smelly seaweed is a potential problem. A vacation destination, it has to have a beach in it, for sure. Lynn Weller of the Guelph area loves scuba diving, swimming and snorkeling. In August, she went to Cancun, Mexico with family and was shocked when the beaches there were covered with tons and tons of smelly sargassum seaweed. Nobody's expecting everything to be perfectly groomed all of the time. But the mass amounts of this, like it was very thick and wide and deep. And the smell, the overpowering smell, is this what we're faced with all week? Weller said since no one could use the beach, the pools were overcrowded. She booked the holiday through WestJet Vacations and told WestJet customers should have been warned about the seaweed situation. WestJet did offer Weller a $300 credit and told CTV News, sargassum seaweed is prominent across Mexico generally from the spring to fall seasons. As a natural occurrence, it is not something we proactively advise our guests of. Some companies, such as Costco, do have a sargassum advisory on their travel website. That's really a natural phenomenon. And so it's really hard to forecast when something like that's going to happen. It could happen overnight. The Travel Industry Council of Ontario says using a registered travel agent can help you get more information if you're concerned about piles of seaweed on the beach. But even if there is no sargassum when you book your trip, it could still show up once you arrive. It's hard to forecast that kind of thing and guarantee that, you know, it won't happen when you're, when you're in destination. Weller says she wanted to warn others that if you book a southern holiday, the beach could end up being off limits. After spending thousands and thousands of dollars on this trip and then to be greeted with something that we can't even use the beach, just the sheer disappointment. As winter arrives, sargassum shouldn't be as prevalent, but if you're booking a holiday down south and enjoy time at the beach, you may want to check if the seaweed is still an issue. On your side, I'm Pat Foran. If you have a consumer story idea, email us at alert at ctv.ca. Didn't get vacation weather here, but a lot of sunshine. It was nice. I think we're on to a nice stretch of sunshine, mm -hmm. and the timing is perfect as we head towards the weekend. Yes, and even though it is going to be a little bit cool overnight tonight and then overnight tomorrow night, we have some pretty mild weather returning once again for next week, just in time for us to welcome November. The only trade-off is that uh, the fly in the ointment when it comes to our seven-day forecast is Halloween. But still a couple of days out. We'll see how this pans out. The good news is I don't think you're going to need a snowsuit 
cute kids underneath your costume. Weather is brought to you by Train, the most reliable heating and cooling brand. It's hard to stop a train. You might want a pair of mitts and maybe a hat if you're headed out tonight or especially tomorrow morning in southern Ontario. We've got cooler conditions overall thanks to the passing of that cold front yesterday. Across the province, we're talking single-digit temperatures at this hour, dropping to a low of one degree overnight tonight. That's a little bit cooler than normal. Average overnight low at this point in October is four degrees. So it's no surprise that Environment Canada has issued a frost advisory for Toronto, Brampton, Mississauga, Oakville, Burlington, and then into the Niagara region. Uh, it's still the growing season. If you haven't done so already, take care of any frost-sensitive crops or plants that you may have. Tomorrow's high, again, pretty typical for this time of year, 12 degrees, maybe a, just a little bit warmer than it was today. Mainly sunny skies once again, and that too is the pattern heading into the weekend. Not much to show you here on the satellite and radar. We have high pressure at play. It's one of the ingredients that contributes to frost. We need cool temperatures, calm winds, and clear skies. The skies will be mostly clear through tomorrow. It is possible that we'll gradually see a little bit of cloud cover drift in, but overall very pleasant mix of sun and cloud or mainly sunny skies. Saturday, a beautiful blue sky day. Temperature once again into the double digits. Sunday, we'll start to see things change just a little bit. Gradually, there will be an increase in cloud cover. By the end of the day, we're expecting a few showers, uh, about a 30% chance at this point. Monday, calling for some wet weather. I'm tracking a system stateside. The question right now is just how far north it's going to travel and when it does, just how long it's going to last. So my fingers are crossed at this point that maybe the showers will taper off by the time it's time to go trick-or-treating but overall the temperature slightly above seasonal especially at night eight degrees is the forecast overnight low this is good news look at Tuesday the first day of November temperature up around 16 degrees with a mix of sun and cloud that's your look at the seven-day forecast Nathan back to you all right thank you Lindsay also tonight no doubt Toronto's mayor's got bigger fish to fry in this new term but on his to-do list those grimy garbage bins among other things mucking up the city's overall look what he's already doing about it after the break. On air, online, on every platform. Escape tragedy by mere moments. CTV News Toronto. A story you'll only see here. Winner of the Canadian Screen Award for Best Local Newscast. We have developing details. Watch weeknights at 6. A North York family wants answers from authorities tonight about the death of a loved one. Tarej Ramroop fell to his death two weeks ago following an incident with police. CTV's Beth McDonnell has been following this case and joins us now with more. Beth. Michelle, the Special Investigations Unit is investigating after the 32-year-old man fell from the 16th floor of the building behind me. That's the top floor. His family says he needed better mental health supports. Broken and trying to understand. Holding photos of Taresh, Bobby, Ramroop, family members want to know why the 32-year-old fell to his death from the 16th floor of his Jane and Finch apartment building. My brother was severely depressed and just because he was depressed, he did not deserve to lose his life. They say he was passionate about graphic design, loved singing, dancing and worked two jobs at FedEx and Uber Eats. On October 13th, Toronto police say officers responded to 911 calls of people reporting seeing furniture and an air conditioning unit thrown from the top floor. There was like 20, 30 police officers. Uh, they were all around here, around this side of um, the block over here. They're over there. There's some on the roof. 
CTV News has seen video of a man dangling from one of the top floors of the building. Police say the man barricaded himself in a bedroom and two certified crisis negotiators were on site. Officers say negotiations took place but the man fell shortly after 7 p.m. Hours earlier that afternoon, family members say he texted his parents worried someone was trying to break in. An organizer working with the family says his brother later called the parents asking for help. When family members arrived, they say they were put inside the superintendent's office and weren't allowed to meet with Ramroop. They also say they weren't able to see what was unfolding with police and were only let out of the office after Ramroop had died. We were the last people to find out our baby passed. <laughs> our last. In a statement, the Toronto Police Service says it's fully cooperating with this investigation and has provided all video and audio recordings from the officer's body-worn camera footage and all other information that the SIU has requested. Going on to say, our members' singular goal in these situations is the safe apprehension of the person in crisis to get them the supports they need. Any loss of life is deeply felt by our members. Police say a psychiatrist was called by police and en route but was not able to arrive in time. Ram Roop's family says this is not the first case like this. In May of 2020, Regis Korczynski Paquette, whose family said she also struggled with her mental health, fell from a high-rise after police were called. Ram Roop's family says he needed mental health care, not a police response. He had a smile that was absolutely gracious, like the one you were all looking at in his FedEx photo. And I can guarantee if he was here with you all today, you would be seeing that exact same smile. Leaving the family heartbroken, looking for answers. One thing the family is upset about is something that was written in an SIU news release talking about six police officers here. They believe there were more than 20 police officers involved in the response and family members, as we mentioned, are still very much grieving. They are holding a vigil here on November 1st. That would have been Ram Roop's 33rd birthday. Reporting live, I'm Beth McDonnell. Michelle, back to you. Thank you, Beth. An important reminder tonight for parents, Toronto Public Health says make sure your child's vaccinations for a number of infections and diseases are up to date. We know that these diseases are still spreading around the world. We've heard in the news about polio. We know meningococcal has actually come into our city. Measles continues to spread. These diseases are still out there and they're very contagious. And we know that these vaccines are safe. They were as safe as they were even before the pandemic. And we know that parents want their children to get the vaccines. They may have just missed it through the pandemic. And so it's a reminder to see your doctor see your nurse practitioner, get the vaccines. And then don't forget that additional step. Parents actually have to report the vaccines directly to us. More than half of students have fallen behind in their vaccinations. In Ontario, proof of vaccination or a valid ex exemption is needed to attend school, including for polio, measles and the mumps. For more information, visit toronto.ca slash student vaccines. A bird's eye view of the six, and it's easy to see the city has a lot to offer, from its beautiful parks to vibrant neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. But once you are on the ground with a closer look, it's hard not to notice that Toronto has a bit of a trash problem. And as our CTV's Andrew Brennan explains, our mayor knows it too. Most mayors after an election talk about cleaning up City Hall. 
John Tory says he wants to clean up the city. A clean Toronto uh, is an absolute priority. Fresh off his third term win, Tory met with city department managers this morning and says cleaning blitzes are either underway or set to begin, including graffiti on public and private property, public garbage bins, construction zones also around donation boxes and potholes, plus an audit of the state of city arenas and rinks. One of Tory's major gripes is the garbage bins. He's admitted in the past he's hesitant to use some because of their cleanliness. Now he's meeting with the city's lawyers about potentially ending the contract early. Well, that's exactly the advice I'm going to be getting because if you said, would I be open to doing that if there was no willingness on the part of the existing contractor to sit down and have an earnest discussion with us about how we can do better, you're darn right I would. In 2007, Toronto signed a $200 million deal with Astral. In exchange for the advertising, it would maintain the bins. Over 3,700 have been repaired since April. Astral is now owned by Bell Media, CTV's parent company. When you think of Toronto, do you, do you think of it as dirty or clean? Um, dirty. This month, Toronto was named the rattiest city in Canada by Orkin Pest Control. Even visitors say it could do with some elbow grease. Well, I go to school in Ottawa, yeah. so I would say in comparison, it's pretty dirty sometimes, yeah. Tory says the city has repaired 164,000 potholes this year. But it's another common complaint. I mean, I'd say the road quality is more, like, worse than the, the, the dirt so much. I think that the construction trucks tend to break down the roads very quickly around where we live. Glenn has lived in Toronto since the 1960s. He says cost-cutting has eroded services. We don't seem to have saved any money, but we seem to have lessened the services that we were getting before, and it just doesn't seem to be getting better. Tory says various departments will be looking at long-term solutions, but he isn't committing any new money right now for these cleaning blitzes and audits. Any long-term changes for upkeep will have to be approved in next year's budget. Andrew Brennan, CTV News. His publisher calls it candid and emotionally powerful. Prince Harry's memoir will be out January 10th. The book is titled Spare, an apparent reference to Harry being a royal spare, not the first in line to succession. Penguin Random House says it'll be full of insight, self-examination, and wisdom about the power of love over grief. The Duke of Sussex will donate proceeds from the 416-page book to British charities. An iconic Tinseltown landmark is now ready for its close-up. A makeover of the Hollywood sign is now complete. 400 gallons of a special paint called Hollywood Centennial White was used. A crew of 10 local painters started painting last month, scaling the steep terrain to reach those famous letters. The sign was spruced up ahead of its 100th birthday next year. Stars Tonight is brought to you by Lastman's Bad Boy. Who's better? Nobody. A primetime star comes home tomorrow on CP24 Breakfast. Will and Grace's Eric McCormack on his new Canadian film, Drink Water. CP24 Breakfast, where Toronto gets its everything every morning. More people than ever before in the history of food banks in this country are relying on our support to put food on the table. Updating our top stories, the high cost of living is sending more Canadians to food banks than ever before. About one and a half million people in March of this year alone.
You know, I've been waiting nine lights to get through by four blocks. This is ridiculous. Rather than driving, walking is the best option over here right now. Summer's over, but the road construction isn't. Gridlock along Adelaide today as workers upgrade infrastructure and streetcar tracks. Drivers' patience was also tested at other spots in what the city insists is necessary work. We have to, like, get medication for them, all that, but then you have another patient, they're more mental health, and they're trying to escape the hospital or something, and you, you're one person, like, how are you supposed to go and do all of that at once? An increasing number of Ontario nurses are heading south of the border. Overwork here and better pay there are the main reasons for many. A nurse shortage has been a factor in closed wards and emergency rooms in at least 14 hospitals. And remember to follow us on social media and keep up to date day and night through our website, ctvnewstoronto.ca. And if you have a news tip, photos or video of breaking news, let us know. In business, Canadian e-commerce company Shopify is bucking the trend for tech stocks today after the company reported a better-than-expected quarter. With more, here's Jacqueline Hansen from BNN Bloomberg. Shopify reported higher sales than analysts expected, and its shares surged up 17%. Shopify had bet big on the pandemic-fueled online shopping surge, but it didn't last, and Shopify's shares plunged. This summer, Shopify's CEO admitted he was wrong and made changes to pull back the company's expansion, including cutting 10% of the workforce. An analyst today said that the better-than-expected results suggest Shopify's worst days could could be behind it. But even with today's big bounce, so far this year, Shopify stock is down more than 70%. Let's take a look at some of the closing market numbers for today. The Canadian dollar is trading flat at 73.75 cents US. West Texas Intermediate Oil is up a little more than a dollar to $89 US a barrel. And Western Canadian Select is essentially flat at roughly $60 US a barrel. As for stock markets, the TSX gained about 70 points to 19,352.11. That is the latest in business. I'm Jacqueline Hansen of BNM Bloomberg. Meanwhile, the New York Stock Exchange says Twitter shares will be suspended from trading on Friday. It comes as Elon Musk faces a deadline tomorrow to close his deal to buy the company. Stocks in Twitter rose just over 1% a day after the billionaire paid a visit to the headquarters of the social media platform. Musk was lugging a sink, telling Twitter to let it sink in that he's poised to take over the company. It's going to be another late night for Leaf fans. Toronto's facing off against the Sharks in San Jose. The Maple Leafs lost to the Golden Knights Monday night. Vegas outplayed the Buds at the start of all three periods. But Toronto will be looking for a better outcome tonight against a Sharks team that has lost seven of its first nine games. Meanwhile, six Toronto Blue Jays have been named finalists for the Silver Slugger Award. Teoscar Hernandez has won it twice already. The award is given to the best defensive player at each position in both the American and National Leagues. Fellow outfielder George Springer is also going for his third silver bat. The other Jays nominees are Alejandro Kirk, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Bo Bichette, and Matt Chapman. Just ahead, top honors for Toronto's top dog. Eileen Davila among several local trailblazers in their respective fields to receive a big worldwide award. Tonight, the first World Cup team to call out Qatar on its human rights record. These migrant workers who have suffered are not just numbers. Australian players with a blunt message and the pressure on Canada to weigh in. That's later on CTV National News. Get Toronto's top stories, breaking news alerts, and watch live. Download the CTV News app. 
Toronto's Medical Officer of Health, Dr. Eileen Davila, is one of four Filipina Canadians being recognized internationally for blazing a trail in their professions. The 100 Most Influential Filipina Women Awards honors women who are changing the face of leadership in their local communities. The campaign was launched more than a decade ago in the United States and has grown to recognize outstanding achievers worldwide with the goal of inspiring new talent in every sector of the economy. I, I feel that I, I need to represent the, um, the possibilities that, you know, I, me coming from, you know, the, um, from Manila, if I dream big and, you know, just persevere, that it's possible. I am also uh, very happy that four Canadian women from different industries and sectors are receiving the award this year, you know, giving visibility to the impact that Canadian Filipina women are having. This year's awards will be handed out in Lisbon, Portugal on November 3rd. Congrats. Sure looks like a gorgeous evening, but we do have a frost advisory to keep in mind. We do. So just a heads up that it'll be chilly overnight tonight and especially first thing tomorrow morning. We'll take one more look at that frost advisory to show you who's included in this. It's predominantly the West GTA and into Niagara region. There it is. We are going to rebound quite nicely into tomorrow, though. Afternoon high 12 degrees, mainly sunny skies, and the seven-day forecast looks like this. Now, I know we're focusing a lot on Halloween. It's a big deal for a lot of families out there, and I'm I'm happy to share a couple more Halloween photos with you tonight. Check this out, Roxy and Autumn. What do you think of those costumes? I think they're getting along nicely. A relationship going on. <laughs> Definitely. And we've shown a lot of dogs, but we wanted to get some cats in there too. Here's Molly and Mary. This seems like it could have been a challenge to get yeah, them to pose for this photo. Kudos for getting that done. Yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> you know cats. Absolutely. Uh, this is one of my favorite photos that I've seen so far, costume-wise. What do you think of Abby's? I love it. Those look like pool noodles that they've cut up. Very creative. That's creative and a great snack as well. Definitely. And we're going to finish things off with Landon here. I'm, I'm thinking of first Halloween. Oh, amazing. He fits in that pumpkin. He sure does. Keep the photos coming. We'll share more tomorrow and, of course, on Halloween Monday over the weekend, too, Nathan and Michelle. All right. Thank you, Lizzie. Be sure to join Omar Sachedina tonight at 11 for CTV News National, CTV National News, followed by Zoraida Allman with our next local newscast at 1130. In the meantime, our coverage, it always continues anytime on CP24 and online at ctvnewstoronto.ca. For Lindsay Morrison and all of us at CTV News, thank you for watching and have a good night.